Chivalry. Jousting. Coat armor. Knights on horseback. And the great glory of the Middle Ages are mostly made up. The real Middle Ages were a bloody, dirty, brutal, and uncivilized time. Women were mere possessions, land was wealth, might made right, and peasants ate rocks and soil to stay alive. Only the high-born could live a life anything like Sir Walter Scott imagined in his novels. But some Once Upon a Time tales aren't the stuff of pure fiction. In those dark times, there was a great knight who outlived four kings, fought countless battles, and was the very epitome of the medieval warrior. His name was William Marshall, and this is his story. We return to the Middle Ages in this episode of Blind History, a time that um, both Anthony Midder and I love because we get to, um, I think maybe because when we were kids, uh, this was regarded as like a really romantic, exciting, adventurous time, you know, where men fought on horseback and wore armor and women were beautiful maidens that needed to be rescued. And, you know, it's it's a really interesting time. I think a lot of that probably has to do with like Gilbert Scott and stuff that was made up much later. Arthur, the Arthurian Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that whole legend of Arthur, yeah. all of that stuff contributed so much to this. But we're going right into the heart of chivalry and medieval pageantry with the character that we're talking about today. Someone called William Marshall, who was uh, – his proper name is William Marshall, first Earl of Pembroke. And um, he came from an Anglo-Norman family, served five kings – of England during his life, which is quite an extreme. I mean, it's it's an expansive array of time. Um, you've got Henry the Second, his sons, uh, the young king Richard the First, John, and finally John's son Henry the Third as well. And so, he was loyal to all of them, no matter how. There was one or two nutters in there. Amazing. And I mean, he was so loyal to them. But just to start, uh, Gareth, the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, just after he passed away. He said, the greatest knight that has ever lived, and the deeds and titles are such that, you know, you can say that it's still justified today. Yeah, that was Stephen Langton who actually ended up being a cardinal. He was the guy who adjudicated at the Magna Carta. So this guy had a good grip of history. And for him to say these things about William Marshall means that, you know, at the time he was regarded very highly. And throughout his life, he really seems to have had both a mix of really good fortune and just this incredible adventurous spirit mm. that very few warriors in history managed to keep up for as long as he did. It's amazing. Yes, if you look at how, how his life started, life was really tough. Uh, you know, <laughs> the, 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 you know, it's, um, if you live to 30, you've done well. I mean, even his dad didn't really care too much for him. No. Uh, the first known events or uh, hectic events in his life was when, when uh, Stephen – who was king at the time. I don't know if it was Stephen the first. No, it's only the only, the Stephen, only Stephen that is and the only Matilda. It was the big rivalry between yes, Matilda and the Stephen. cousins. Yeah. So Stephen was laying into his castle to take John Marshall, which was William's his dad, his father's castle. And so he, Stephen got the upper hand and instead of backing down, they took, he took his son, uh, which was William hostage. Mm. 
And then um, uh, instead of backing down, he carried on building his his supplies and rebuilding to take on, on Stephen again, and and which was massively high risk. And then he famously said, "You know, I have a hammer and an anvil on which I can forge better sons than he." So that's <laughs> how much he loved poor old William. But, <laughs> Imagine your dad says that about you. <laughs> yeah, and then but the incredible thing about William already, and this is the age we're talking age six now. Stephen decided not to kill him. Mm. Um, and although um, John Marshall didn't didn't really listen to him, and he, you know he was he, he stayed at his court for a while, and uh, that was that was his first introduction to a king. That was when the first king that he that he got as, close as, to. A, as a kidnap victim, as a kidnap victim, and he must have learned quite a lot because during that time, which is well known as the Anarchy or the First English Civil War, um, by some. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of law and order. It was it was pretty much one of the most violent episodes in English history. And it was also the beginning of the proper medieval era because only after that, when the Civil War was finally ended and King Henry II, the first Angevin or Plantagenet King of, of England took over, did you start having this real sense of you know all the things that we regard now as being medieval, um, heraldry and knights on horseback and the crusades mm. and all of that stuff, all of that really started happening around this time as well. So William Marshall was born at exactly, exactly the right time. Exactly the right time, 100%. So, of course, he had to make his own way in life. He didn't have a whole lot of money. His father was a minor nobleman, so there was always – a stretch on the cash. And but also order, he wasn't the oldest, so he wasn't going to get nothing anyway. Correct. And the, the hard thing about being a knight was that you had to pay for a war horse, which was tremendously expensive. You had to maintain the war horse. In other words, feed the damn thing, Teff and Lucerne the whole time. Mm. Uh, you had to outfit yourself in armor. You had to have a sword, a lance. You used to have maces and cudgels mm. and God knows what else as well. And it was a very expensive endeavor. Yeah. Plus, you had to be knighted, which you had to pay for. And the only way you could make money as a knight was by essentially winning at battles and then taking other knights hostage or plundering by sheer force other people's possessions. So yeah. it was kind of dog-eat-dog mm. and survival and he was a big of the dog. fittest. He, he was, was a big dog. Yeah, and I think that just talking about what you said, so at the age of 12, he went off to his – I think it's his mom's cousin – Tankerville. Yeah, in, back in France now. Mm. And this is where he, he was educated in the art of war and and a lot of different things. And he, at the time, he got his nickname of the Glutton because <laughs> he ate greedy a lot. Guts. Oh, greedy no. guts. Greedy no. guts or the, or the Glutton. But uh, he, he really – he must have impressed somebody because then he did – he was knighted in 1166. That's so the age of 20. And this really set him, basically set him on his way. But 100% correct. Where can you make money? And at the time, there were, there were tournaments. And these tournaments, I suppose it's like our Ellis Park now, or I don't know what you yeah. would call it. Or- this is amazing. And these tournaments worked. Uh, you know, we, we see a lot of representations in modern movies or in romantic kind of allegories of what that time was, that it was one knight on horseback with a lance against another knight. That was much later. This was like melee battle. Mm. They would actually line up on two sides of a field, a whole lot of knights on horseback and on foot with whatever weapons they could afford. And then they'd rush at each other. And it was called a tournament because they would tourner, they would turn, and then they would go at each other again. And you'd keep doing this until one side won. And then you could obviously capture guys, you could ransom them you could take their armor you could take their horse uh, a lot of people lost their horses uh, william famously lost mm. his horse too but he had a specific tactic he would actually 
either try and grab the reins of the other knight's horse, which is a very risky mm. maneuver because you're holding your own reins. Yeah, I'm pulling out of the circle. And, yeah. and actually, yeah, and take them out and, and then take over the horse and knock the guy out on the ground. Mm. He also had this, this uh, skill of being able to use his weapons in a downward motion, whether they were swords, lances, or cudgels, and he'd be able to then operate with ferocity from a height. And they became very, very nervous around him in battle because he was and, merciless. But also he was, he was, he was clever strategically because he would, he would often, him and his team would just hang back and let everybody else be exhausted. Then he would move <laughs> in and then clean them up. And, and you know, effectively, um, uh, he, that one year he captured, you know, north of a hundred Knights. That's right. And, and in his career, his 16 year career in, in the tournaments, over 500 knights. He was undefeated. He, nobody ever defeated him. Yeah. Uh, and, and he made a lot of money. You know, there was, there was prize money. There was also plenty of ransom money. So he was just an incredible individual. Well, um, famously, the, the, his master in one of these tournaments was the Earl of Essex. And he said to him, look, you, you owe me a bit of tribute. And, uh, his, his line was, but Marshall, what are you saying? You had 40 or 60 of them, yet you refuse me so small a thing as my tribute. So he would, he would capture 40 or 60 of these other knights. I mean, this is a big deal. Yeah. You know, not scared. Anyway, he became good friends with King Henry II when he'd taken over, and he actually was the escort for Queen Eleanor of Aquitaine when she was fleeing Guy de Lusignan, and he managed to actually fight them off he was already a, a hero by that stage in the tournament scene, but now in real battle, mm. he proved himself an honorable man too. And he, he was lucky because in that particular battle against Guy de Lusignan, he was, he was actually harmed by a, um, a big wound. He, he got, he got hurt really badly on his thigh and, um, someone took pity on him and apparently gave him a loaf of bread. And that kept him alive, and he used the, the the clean linen that this person had given them, given him to dress the wounds as well. So that saved his life. They said he wouldn't have made it if that hadn't. But happened. just, I think it was a battle prior to that where he was. This is where he was introduced to Eleanor and and to uh, you know the, the the court of Henry the Second. He was he was actually he was caught, and and a ransom was set. <laughs> And Eleanor paid the ransom because she said, "This is I want these. I, I want this man. This guy should be on our side." And and also because um, the the young king, which is interesting, this is a very interesting thing in in, in English history that 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 he wasn't called Henry the Third, so he was the young king. He's, it's, he's, Henry the Second had already. He had him crowned. Yeah. He had him crowned officially, and but, but he, he didn't really have any actual sovereign rights. So it was this bizarre thing where the father and the son were ruling at the same yeah, time. Supposedly. But William was there to knight tutor him, to at war tutor him, I think is the better mm. term. And to get him ready for that. And they were they were close. They I mean everywhere they went, it was it was Henry the young king, they called him, and uh, William Marshall together. They were right. operating together. And that was very important. And then, as you'd mentioned, you know, looking after Eleanor and Henry the Second. Yeah. Absolutely. So he was indispensable to the, the family, the royal family at that time. Correct. He did fall out with the young king later on. Uh, there were rumors about him having an affair with Margaret of France, who was the young king's wife. They probably were made up and young King Henry wasn't really much phased by it mm -hmm. because he thought at that point that it was highly unlikely that William was having an affair with his wife, but he kept him at a distance mm -hmm. anyway. And the two of them kind of fell out and he was removed from the young king's service. Then, 
he got involved in this big fight between Henry II, who was still king at the time, and his three sons, mm. Richard and John. I'm not going to me- mention – there was Geoffrey as well, but nobody's really paying attention to him at this point. There was Henry, then it was his son Henry, then there was Richard and there was John, and they were always fighting with each yeah. other. And Eleanor would take up sides with her favorite son, Richard. Yeah, it was a vicious brood. Henry II <laughs> obviously had his favorite too, which was John. And, I mean, they always were fighting with mm. each other. They were like a pride of lions. Yeah. And you've mentioned this in a previous example where the strongest one has to survive mm. and the others just get killed off. The thing was so, – so Richard and John at this time uh, joined the king of France yeah. to take out dad. Right. So it's hectic stuff. Yeah, it's, it's real betrayal. Yeah. And then – and William now, together with Henry II, the dad, now needed to take this riffraff out. Mm. And he, he actually – in the battle, he dehorsed Richard the first which later on would become Richard the Lionheart. So That's he must right. just show how impressive this guy is. And he could have killed him, but he yeah. didn't. He, he refrained from actually killing him, and he let him go. And then later on, Richard never held a grudge at all. In, 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 actually, he, he looked Quite after him day. very, very well. See, this guy was such a powerful ally to have that it wasn't worth making an enemy out of mm. him. And um, when the young king died, because he died before his two brothers or his father, he begged William to fulfill a vow and take his robes to the Holy Land where he wanted them essentially in a ritual uh, committed to, to God so that he would join as a knight Templar and he would, you know, obviously have an easier passage into heaven. And William Marshall did. Mm. Uh, so upon the young king's death, got onto a horse, traveled all the way down to Marseille, hopped on a boat, went to the Holy Land, at which point, Saladin was busy conquering Jerusalem. Mm. Uh, he was at, at Acre, the famous castle at Acre. All of this stuff With was going King on. King Gar. Um, With, was it called King Gar? I, I think Baldwin. You're thinking uh, of Baldwin, uh, uh, Baldwin, Baldwin, Baldwin So the Baldwin IV, who famously was um, had leprosy. And this was all going on while, I mean, all these stories come together in the life mm. of William. Yeah. And we're only at the beginning of his story mm. because after that, obviously, he went back was back in the favor of King Henry II, as you've pointed out, managed to quell and, uh, and, and tame the young lions, his other children, and by then was well-established as being an important man in the English and French court. Yeah, and then and, – and, uh, so, so Henry died, mm-hmm. Henry II died, and, and Richard became king. And he, he was with, um, at, and he, then he served Richard the first. And, right. and with Richard the first, we, I, I think, um, most of us know he just spent very little time in England. And About when five he was months a, altogether. Yeah. So, and we, at that time, William was there protecting his realm and especially with John getting quite antsy. So that's, that's Richard's brother. Mm-hmm. You know, he, John really wanted to take over. John was an interesting personality himself <laughs> and, um, and so he 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 looked after you know the role while while Richard was away, and he also got married at that time to someone called Isabel de Clare, who was the daughter of Richard de Clare, who was called Strongbow, and he was the Earl of Pembroke. So actually, they inherited the title through his wife. Um, he was later created Earl of, of Pembroke. Oh, so that's right. So it was William Earl of that's Pembroke. Correct. correct. 
So eventually, King Henry II's youngest son, John, who they called Lackland, I'll tell you why in a second, takes over. Probably the worst of the Plantagenet mm. kings up to this point. The guy just lost every piece of land. God unraveled completely. It just, the whole empire fell apart. I mean, from owning, what, two-thirds of France, effectively, under Henry II and Richard, John lost it all. Yeah, he, he even, just had a little garage somewhere, I think, in <laughs> Calais or something. <laughs> he, he even <laughs> lost the crown jewels. And... Thank God for him, William was still around yeah. because William was defending Normandy and trying to keep it all together. And once again, loyal as can be. That's right. Except. And, well, yeah, except that he was there uh, with the barons at Runnymede when yes. the Magna Carta yeah, was signed. And William was one of the few English earls who did remain loyal to King John. It was William who he actually entrusted on his deathbed to make sure that King Henry III would ascend to the throne. And it was William who took responsibility for the king's funeral and burial at Worcester Cathedral. Now, interestingly enough, King Henry III came to the throne at a very young age. Mm. And if it wasn't for William Marshall at that point, it was quite possible that the whole kingdom could have fallen yeah. apart. The French were looking very greedily at England. There were attempted invasions. Mm. The barons were obviously still very antsy post Magna Carta. Mm. So it was a very, very tricky time. And if William hadn't been there, if, if William Marshall hadn't taken care of young King Henry III, highly unlikely that the subsequent reigns yeah. would have taken place. But during the time, you know, of, of King John's reign, he didn't have a, a really, really strong relationship with King John, but loyal as always. Yeah. And he was one of the creators of the pen to pen. Magna Carta. So he was instrumental in putting that together as well with the barons. So he did play his role in. Well, in he had setting. respect from both sides. Yes. Which 100%. was, which was something nobody had at that yeah, point. And agreed. I mean, he, by the time he took over as regent when King Henry III came to the throne, he was 70 years old, mm. which in medieval times was a long, yeah. long life. I mean, nobody really lived that long. But effectively, um, Gareth, you know, without the name, he was King of England. Absolutely. And a lot of people have criticized his regency, but it seems that more or less he ran things extremely well. The finances were brought back into order. Um, he started rebuilding the army. He made sure that the king was tutored properly in all of the arts of chivalry and knighthood and all of the things that William Marshall had learned during his quite long life mm. and that were considered to be hugely important to a medieval monarch. Yeah, and that was the fifth monarch that he was yeah. uh, supporting. And, and, and then famously he went into his final battle at the age of 70, which is just insane. <laughs> if you, it's, it's like thinking in today's terms of somebody going to battle at the age of 95, you know, it's, it was just incredible. And he was, once again, he was undefeated in that, in that battle. It was, it was more of a civil war battle, but nonetheless, then he passed away two years later. And he passed away. Um, his final wish was to be admitted into the order of the Knights Templar. Obviously, having been to the Holy Land, this was massively important to him. He is still buried in the Temple Church in London. His tomb can still be seen there, mm -hmm. which, again… I've, yeah, I've seen it. You've seen it. Yeah, you must effigy. have seen it just recently. Yes, 100%. Yeah. And they actually unveil a statue of him in 2022 in Pembroke Castle, which is quite cool. In because Wales. that would have been his castle, part of his estates when he was um, invested with that title. But, but he was physically… Insanely fit, just naturally fit. But he said in the end, um, I cannot defend myself from death. Well, that's true for all of us, I think. <laughs> yeah. But um, through his daughter, he's actually ancestor to both the Bruce and Stuart kings of Scotland. 
And through his granddaughter, he's the ancestor to the last Plantagenet kings, Edward IV and Richard III. Oh, I and know. all English monarchs from Henry VIII afterwards descend from him. So all of the current and most recent monarchs going back all the way to Henry VIII descend from the blood of William Marshall. That's good blood. Veins. It's good blood. I just don't know whether some of them would be as good at fighting as he was. <laughs> but yeah, what a guy. Huh? What a nice. What an incredible love that story thanks for listening to this episode of blind history every episode is available on the cliff central app cliffcentral.com or wherever you get your podcasts in the next episode there was a devout muslim and he just brought so much good to that region revolutionized and modernized the area a lot of his buildings His mosques and universities still stand today.